Well, good morning. Uh, as Ron said, we're glad you are here uh, today in the South Hills. We want to welcome our campuses in Robinson and, and Washington, and of course, all of you who join us online each week. In addition uh, to the campus announcements, uh, two quick things for, for the whole church we want to remind you of. Uh, last week, when we set some vision for the summer series, uh, Relevant Faith, we talked about uh, the need to hear from you, the need, uh, specifically to hear from parents of that, that next generation, Generation Z. We want to hear the things you're dealing with, the things that uh, have come up as you're raising your, your children of the next generation. So we asked you to consider over the next few weeks filling out one of these surveys. They're at every campus, either at uh, your connections uh, starting point or information desk here in the South Hills. They're at these uh, podiums on your way out. You can grab one or you can go online, biblechapel.org slash parents. And it's a, it's a little more detailed, probably take you about 15 minutes, but we want to hear from you to help us better understand as we, we move into the fall of next year, we want to offer relevant faith parenting forums, places where you can come and be fed, learn, have fellowship, because we've heard from many parents, you can kind of feel like you're on an island. So we want to make sure that we come together as a church and equip one another to raise the next generation. The other thing we want to remind you of, uh, at every campus tomorrow night from 6 to 7 p.m. is our congregational prayer time. Uh, here in the South Hills and in room 210, the elders will actually be in Washington as they're rotating the campuses. And of course, Robinson, uh, you will have your prayer meeting as well. And as we said last week, uh, please try to be there. We want to come together and pray as a church. And if you can't, if something's going on, could you just take a few minutes during that hour from six to seven to set aside time to pray for our church? We want to some way, somehow come together during that hour to pray together as one body. So let's, let's pray now and ask God to lead us in his word this morning. Father, we thank you for today. God, we're thankful that every weekend we can come and gather across all our campuses and together as one body worship the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we come before you this morning, uh, as always, we ask that you would speak to us as only you can. Father, we say every week we have nothing to say and nothing to hear unless it comes directly from you. So Father, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be honoring and pleasing to you, O oh God. We commit this time now of worship through word to you. In Christ's name, amen. I believe the statement, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth would be the heart of every parent at the Bible Chapel, that, that your desire, your heart is to one day know when they grow up and move out, that you hear that they are still walking in the truth. I believe that's, that's the heart of every grandparent, that as your grandchildren are growing, that as they move on and get older and move out of their, their home, you, you hear about your grandchildren and you, and you hear that they are walking in the truth. That's the, the heart of every children's volunteer, children's leader at the Bible Chapel. Man, that, that as these kids come through that ministry and move on, you, you meet up with them later in life. They swing by children's ministry and they say they're walking in the truth. That's the heart of every youth pastor, right? We're, we're talking about graduates this weekend across all our campuses that one day when, when they come back home, you find out, man, man, they're walking in the truth like never before. I find 
no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's a statement directly from the Apostle John in his letter of 3rd John. John found no greater joy. When you think about the decades of ministry of John, he found no greater joy than here you could think his, his spiritual children, those that had come up, or come up under his shepherding and care, to hear that one of them was truly living in obedience to God's word. No greater joy for John. In the month of May, we've been uh, taking a break from our first John series that we started in February to dig into second and third John. We've been saying in this series, there's a clear theme from John, a phrase that is mentioned in both letters. We are to walk in the truth. That word walk is the Greek word peripateo. It means to live, to regulate one's life. A believer where this is not just head knowledge, but it literally describes the way you live day in and day out. Last week, we finished up 2 John. You remember 2 John was written to a, a local congregation. We said, think small c, like the Bible chapel. And, and John, under this umbrella of walking in the truth, asked this congregation to love one another in truth. The way we treat one another, let it be through the lens of God's word. And in the midst of deceivers all around them, he asked them to protect God's truth. Last week we said, there is nothing too small or minuscule in your life that God doesn't care about. He pays attention to everything we do. He loves you so much. There's not one thing you do that he doesn't have his eye on or he doesn't care about. Today, we're going to start two weeks looking at the shortest book in all of Scripture, 219 words in the Greek. That's all it is, the letter of 3 John. Different from 2 John, not so much to a group of people, John writes this letter to a single individual, a man by the name of Gaius. There are multiple uh, men named Gaius in Scripture, and it was such a common name in the New Testament time in the first century that we're not sure who exactly this Gaius was. All we know is about his character. Most likely, Gaius was connected to a, a local church body, maybe a house church of some sort, in or around Ephesus, most likely, because that's where John most likely resided during this time. There's two other names mentioned in 3 John, a man by the name of Diotrephes and a man by the name of Demetrius. Demetrius is mentioned once in verse 12 at the end of the letter, and it, it seems from the, the context here that Demetrius was a traveling teacher whom John had sent to the church where Gaius resided, and most likely Demetrius would have been the one, therefore, that was the bearer of this letter, who brought this letter to Gaius. And the main purpose of this letter is to address the conduct of this man, Diotrephes. Diotrephes was singled out by John for his corrupt church leadership. According to John, Diotrephes was prideful, stubborn, a gossiper in the church. He rejected authority and he treated God's church like a personal country club. He, he wanted people in who supported his agenda. And if you did not, he wanted you out. Some believe Diotrephes, based off his leadership, he could have been an elder. 
who raised up in prominence through self-will and dominance, though he started to dictate the decisions of the church in lieu of the elders as a whole. We, we don't know exactly what his role was, but we can tell from the context of 3 John, Diotrephes' leadership was toxic. It was causing division in this small community, and it was detrimental to the work of the church. So with urgency, John again picks up his pen and authors the shortest book in all of Scripture, 3 John. The next two weeks, what we're going to do is simply this. We're going to get personal with one another because John gets very personal in 3 John. I want us to do a self-assessment of our spiritual health. Where are you at in your walk with Jesus Christ? And the question is simply this. Are you more like Gaius or are you more like Diotrephes? Those who observe your conduct and character, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, would they say you're more like Gaius or more like Diotrephes? Today, we're going to first examine the spiritual health of Gaius. And as we do that, we're going to do what we're going to call a, a Gaius health report and see three areas about the conduct of this man that we should desire to emulate as followers of Jesus Christ. So our text this morning is the first part of this letter. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. So let's dig in, starting in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. John's opening is very similar here as in 2 John. He calls himself the elder. Remember, that, that's not so much here the elder, like the office of an elder in a local church. It's the affectionate term, the old man. John is late in life. And as an old man writing to his children in the church, he calls himself the old man. And, and he calls Gaius this word beloved. He says it four times in this letter. That word uh, beloved comes from the Greek word agapetos, and it means this. It means worthy of love. John uses that personal pronoun I emphatically. He says, Gaius, you are worthy of my love. I love you, Gaius. And he uses that phrase we saw in 2 John, I love you in truth. There is nothing better. There, there's no greater relationship you can have than two believers in Jesus Christ who love each other through the truth of God's word. John says, guys, I love you. And not just based off emotional feeling or what you do for me, I love you through the truth of God's word. Look at verse two. Beloved, again, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Let me explain this verse because it has been misused by some in the pulpit. When John says, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health, that was a standard greeting of John's day. It does not imply that Gaius was ill. And therefore, John is saying, Gaius, you know, if you get spiritual healthy, then you'll definitely get physical healthy. There's those who abuse this verse and say that John is teaching that if you're truly spiritually healthy, then you'll always be physically healthy. There's a dangerous theological error taught by some, such as the Word of Faith movement today, that if you are sick, it's always due to sin. 
or it's always due to a lack of faith. And if you just had enough faith, you would be healed. As I speak these words this morning, our sister-in-law, after defeating breast cancer two years ago, found out recently that the cancer is back. She's fighting and battling that wretched disease again. I spoke to her Thursday on the phone as our brother-in-law was driving her uh, to the next chemo treatment. And while we were on the phone, we discussed that although she is sick physically again, she has never been more healthy spiritually. Over the past three years, her faith is as strong as ever. She has been unwavering in her trust in God. And we talked about how God has used this battle with cancer for her to reach people that she, she thought she could never reach. To the way that she has done her blog and her journey and leaning on God to breast cancer events where she has been able to, to share about Christ. She's a woman who might be sick physically, but man, she is a picture of spiritual health. John's not saying if you're sick physically, it's because you're sick spiritually. Here's, here's all he's saying in verse two. He's saying, Gaius, right now, based off those who observe you, you are so spiritually healthy. You are doing great work for the church. My prayer is that you remain physically healthy so that you can continue the work you're doing spiritually. Because John says in verse two, when it comes to Gaius, it is well with his soul. In the NIV, it says, even as your soul is getting along well. In the King James, it says, even as thy soul prosperous. When you think about that word soul here, it represents Gaius's spiritual life. John rejoiced in knowing that the report back he got, as we'll see from these traveling teachers whom he had sent, they came back and told John, that dude Gaius, he is a spiritually healthy Man, he's living this stuff out. As Christians, we're not Gnostics. We talked about that last week. Gnostics view the body as evil. Material is evil. We value the human body. God calls us to value our body. We're called to, to take care of our bodies. We're called to pray for the sick. And Scripture says a healthy body with an unhealthy soul only makes for a spiritually sick person. For better in many ways, but for worse in idolatrous ways, our culture is obsessed with health. Marketwatch.com states now the average American spends roughly $155 a month on some form of health or fitness membership. That's $112,000 in the average person's lifetime. Physical health important? Absolutely. But not nearly as important as your spiritual health. How are you investing in taking care of your spiritual health? And even worse than being sick, if you're here today at any of our campuses and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, forget being sick. Scripture says, spiritually, you are dead. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he's speaking to believers. He says, and you were dead in your trust passes and sins. This is a reminder that without the intervention of the Holy Spirit in our life, without Jesus Christ, a person is spiritually dead. They have no pulse spiritually. That, that verse just supports what the rest of scripture tells us, which is you can't work your way to God. If you are spiritually dead, you have no life. How are you going to work your way to God? You can't. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, took on flesh, lived the life that we could never live. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, when you trust in him, scripture says immediately, you go from dead in your sin to alive in Jesus Christ. Paul says in verses four and six, but God being rich in his mercy, think what we did not deserve because of the great love he had for us that even while, even while we were dead in our sins, he made us alive with Jesus. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't wake yourself up spiritually if you're dead. Only God can do that through the work of his son in your life. And the beauty is as believers, Paul says, he raised us up with him and we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's just a reminder of the spiritual, our eternal security in Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer here today, you are alive today spiritually as you ever will be. You're in Christ for eternity. And scripture tells us that even as believers, we can go through some stalemates in our walk with the Lord. There are times if people looked at the way we're living, we don't look very spiritually healthy. We can be in some unhealthy practices even as a believers. And sometimes we can get caught up with what the culture's view is of physical health. We spend more time focused on our physical health and our material wealth than how we're doing spiritually. John rejoiced in knowing that Gaius first and foremost was a spiritually healthy man. And he got this directly from these teachers whom he had sent and reported that back to him. Look at verses three and four. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that thing we started with, that my children are walking in the truth. And second John, remember, he, he told that church, he said, I ask of you, he asked that local church, I ask you church to walk in the truth. I ask you church to follow the commandments you heard from the beginning. And third John, he's not asking of Gaius, he's proclaiming. He's saying, you are, Gaius, you are indeed walking in the truth. The testimony of these teachers whom John had sent to Gaius's area in return said, Gaius is walking in the truth. That's the first thing we see of the Gaius spiritual health report. God's word regulated his life. God's truth had become true of Gaius. What John says in verse three 
is by far, I believe, the best compliment you can receive in your life. The best compliment you can receive as a believer in Jesus Christ. John says, I rejoiced greatly when these brothers came back and told me. They testified. It literally means they witnessed. They witnessed that your truth matches up with God's truth. What the Bible says about a follower of Jesus Christ, that actually has become true of you, Gaius. Your truth matches up to God's truth. If someone was given a backstage pass to your life over the past month, not the, the show we can sometimes put on on the weekends for church, but if someone was given an every-minute ticket of observation of your life, would it be obvious that God's Word regulates your life? Would it be obvious that, that what God's truth says about marriage is that your marriage is true to His Word? It matches up the way we conduct ourselves as husband and wife. Is God's truth on parenting the way you parent your children, raising them up in the fear and instruction of the Lord? Think of your tongue over just the past week, your language. Is God's truth on our language true of us and how we spoke this week? Our attitude, our work ethic at work, is God's truth true of you as an employee, handling of our finances is God's truth on everything belongs to him, true to you. Our relationships, those you interact with day in, day out, how we're called to serve one another, how we're supposed to build up one another here in the church, is God's truth true of you? Is it clearly noticeable that God's word regulates your life. I think about uh, our graduates across all our campuses uh, this weekend. In some way, somehow, we are, we are celebrating our graduates as they, as they go off to either to college or trade school or the workplace, wherever they go. And they're beginning, they're beginning this new era of independence, this new era of ownership of their life. First and foremost, if we have any graduates with us this morning right now, our prayer is that you first own your faith, that God's word is true of you. And you're going to make it your aim that as you move on into independence, that you become more dependent on the word of God. Graduates are making the most important decisions of their life early on. They're going to choose where they get their education they're going to make friendships that last for life. They're going to choose where they plant roots and live one day. And, and they're going to possibly choose over the next decade who their spouse will be. Will God's word regulate those decisions of our graduates this year? John says in verse 4, as we started off earlier, no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth, right? Decades of ministry. God had birthed a, a lot of spiritual children under his care. 
And, and most likely we, we believe and infer from here that, that Gaius was probably one of them, probably came to the Lord under the shepherding of John. And now he's at another church and, and man, no greater joy for John. Think about like a professor, right? You invest in your students and, and one comes back and they're now an expert in their field. They're doing remarkable work in their field of study. John says, there's no greater joy than they hear a report back that one of my, my children who grew up under my care is following hard after God's word. Look at verses five and six. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these believers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner that is worthy of God. In the first century, uh, when uh, a stranger would show up, a traveling teacher would show up at a community, I mean, a stranger was a risk to that community. Therefore, typically, for them to be received, they had to have some benefactor send them, a letter of recommendation, someone who knew someone in that town who could vouch for them. And then when you receive that stranger into your home, it's not as if you're just receiving them or welcoming them, you're welcoming the one whom had sent them. Gaius, speaking of his conduct too, as John says, they were strangers to you. He says the way Gaius received them, he was faithful in all his efforts towards them. When you hear that phrase, all your efforts, think stewardship this morning. Gaius likely gave these traveling strangers an investment of his time. They showed up, strangers unannounced possibly, dropped what he was doing, invested his time in them. He, he invested his talents, at least the gift of hospitality here. He gave of his skill and ability to care for them. He would have given some sort of his resources. Most likely when a stranger came, you gave them not just shelter, but you would help mend their clothing. Traveling was tough during this period. You would give them food and you would give them probably some money to continue along in their journey. John says, Gaius, you faithfully did everything in all your efforts toward those strangers I sent to you. And Gaius's actions not only impacted those strangers, teachers who showed up, or John. John says when they came back and they stood before their church, they testified of your love. They told the story of Gaius. Gaius's testimony impacted those far beyond those he just immediately interacted with, with these teachers. That's the second thing of the Gaius health report spiritually. He was a model of good stewardship, time, talents, and treasures for the Lord. When John says these strangers deserve to be sent away now in a manner worthy of God, John is, John's telling Gaius, just as you receive them, I ask you now to send them on their way, on the next leg of their journey in a manner that's worthy of God. That either means one of two things. I ask that you treat them as you would treat God himself, or you would treat them as God would treat them as you send them on their way. To do everything in a manner worthy of God. That, that is the definition of stewardship. An understanding that everything we have is from God. Everything we possess belongs to God. Therefore, everything we do 
including how we show hospitality towards one another, should be done so in a manner of God, as if we were doing these things to God himself. Colossians 3, 17 and 23 and 24, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as you reward because you are serving not the man or the person, the woman, but ultimately you are serving the Lord Christ. If John was still around and he sent some traveling teachers to our homes, gave us a, a letter of recommendation, we housed them for a month, how would they describe our stewardship back to the church? Pause for a few minutes and reflect. Over the past week alone, how did each one of us spend our time? Did God truly own our time? Our time was used as if it was a gift from him. Did we spend time in his word? Did we spend more time on ourselves than for others? Were we simply just stewards of God's time? this past week. Reflect over the past month and how each of us have used our gifts and talents that God has given us over the past month. God has gifted every believer, at least with one gift, to be used for his church and the building up of his body. How did we serve the church over the past month? How do we use our gifts to help a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, and a family member in a manner as if it was unto the Lord? And how was our attitude this past month? at work, at home? How would our coworkers, our neighbors, our family, our classmates speak of us? What, what testimony would they give when they returned home? Reflect over the past few months. How have each one of us used our resources for the Lord? I'm going to say the G word, so be ready. Giving, okay? I said it, giving. How are we faithfully giving to the Lord with what he has blessed us with? Is giving for us just as joyous and worshipful to us as singing a song on Sunday morning that's our favorite song of the week? Is it just as impactful to our spiritual life? How often do we pray for God's direction with our resources, our finances, our home, everything we have, and say, God, God, this week, how do you want me to use what you have given to me for your glory and for your name? Gaius seemed to be one, based off the testimony of these teachers, who lived with open hands towards God and not clenched fists. He approached in a manner worthy of God, that everything was for him, at least from what we see and how he treated these strangers, these traveling teachers who came his way. And understanding that everything was from God and that everything should be used for God. Look at verses seven and eight as we wrap up this Gaius report. John gives now three reasons why Gaius 
uh, should send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out, speaking of these teachers, for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to, John speaking of the church as a whole, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Three things he says. First, we should support these teachers as they go off because they are going out with the proper motive. They are going out for the sake of of the name. It's the name that is above every name, the only name that saves. Gaius, we support them because they are going out for the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, therefore God exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. There's only one way. For there is no other name under heaven among men which we can be saved. John says, first and foremost, Gaius, we support them because they're going out in the name of Jesus. Secondly, he says, we have to support them. Going back to verses 7 and 8, he says, because if we don't, no one will accepting, speaking of these teachers, they accepted nothing from the Gentiles. When you think about that word Gentiles here, think about an unbeliever. He's saying unbelievers, they're not going to support the work of the church. And actually these teachers, they won't even accept their help. Therefore, if we don't support them, no one will. It's the responsibility of the church to support the work of the church. They needed the support of Gaius in this church to send them on their journey. And third, and really one we, we often miss when we think about those who are doing the work physically and those who stay back home, he says, we ought to support people like this so we may be fellow workers for the truth. John reminds Gaius that when you send these teachers out to advance the truth of the gospel, even though you can't go with them physically, you are co-laborers with them for the truth. In your prayer, in the way you use your, your hospitality, and now as you send them with your resources, you, you are just as important as they are when they land at that next city. When I was uh, starting uh, in college ministry almost a decade ago now, um, I uh, went from a sales career and I was going into college ministry and I was working with an organization called CCO, Coalition for Christian Outreach. And I knew what I was getting into, that I will be raising support to start ministry. But I'll never forget the moment I'm at my dining room table and I got like all these envelopes and stamps and I got 140 addresses that I'm going to send letters to friends and family. And there was a, a moment there where I was thinking, what did I do? What did I just do? I'm going to write these letters, and I'm basically begging those closest to me to support me. I feel like I'm begging my friends and family for money. I'm thankful over time through some good mentoring of those who raised support for years, and really through God changing my heart, he humbled me and made me realize, how dare I not invite those closest to me to be co-labors with me in ministry. God reminded me, when I stepped on campus to reach 
college students for Christ. That wasn't my ministry. It was God's ministry. And there were 50 to 60 supporters with me every time I stopped on campus. They were with me because they were co-laborers with me. That's why we say here, when we send teams to Kenya, we send teams to Panama, we send teams to Thailand, it is not just the 10 to 12 people who physically go there who are the laborers for Christ. They represent 200 plus people who have supported them, who are praying for them, who have sent them off. They are co-laborers with that team. That's why I'm the weird one who likes to raise support for mission trips. There's nothing like it. You're inviting people in to be a partner in ministry. That's why if you're here and you can never go on a trip, you are just as important as the ones who go when you support them, when you pray for them. John, he just reminds us, man, this is, this is all ministry together. No matter if you're the one who goes or you're the one who sends. Because it's all ultimately in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And that's the, the final thing we, we could take from the character and the health report of Gaius. He seemed to be a man who desired to exalt the name of Jesus and not his own. It was all about the name of Jesus. We're going to see next week, Diotrephes is very different. He was all about himself. Self-seeking believers are detrimental to Christian community and the work of the local church. Man, when church starts becomes all about you, that's a dangerous place to be. It's all about Jesus and not about me. So whether I am standing on this stage or I am the last one in the pew in Washington, you could not tell the difference in the passion and energy I have when I am singing songs of worship to the name of Jesus. It's all about Jesus and not about me. So in Robinson today, you could not tell the difference in my attitude when I showed up for church, whether I was in the worship center or it was my time of the month to be in the nursery. You could not tell a difference when I showed up for worship this morning. It's all about Jesus and not about me. So I'm going to make a better concerted effort this month to show hospitality to, to someone in my church family, maybe someone I just met today. Or, or I noticed someone seemed to be new at our campus this morning. I'm going to go out of my way to treat them in a manner as if I was treating God himself. It's all about Jesus and not about me. So as I graduate high school and begin a life of independence, I'm going to become more dependent on Jesus than ever before. And if you are a graduating uh, senior or maybe you're in college now, uh, something I learned early on where uh, when I started college ministry, I was trying to keep kids connected to the church and I'm thinking, why am I not connecting them to a good church where they're going? If you're here and you're a graduating senior, you have someone, let us, if you have not yet, help you find a strong biblical church to connect to wherever you're going, whether it's school or you're leaving for a, a job. Help us. Let us help you. Nate Edwards is here in the South Hills. We'll get you his information, the campus pastors and youth. Let us come alongside you. I had a guy uh, last night come up. He said, are you, guys, are you serious about that? I said, yeah. And his daughter is somewhere in a weird city of Utah. I'm like, oh, boy, we'll find it. We're going to help you find Something, either on campus or church, that you can get connected to. Because when you go, man, that's the most important thing. 
more than how you're going to grow in your studies or professionally, you got to make sure the most important area of growth over the next four years is your spiritual growth. As we close, <clears throat> let me ask us, if someone gave us a spiritual health report at the Bible chapel, they sent some folks and they returned back home, would they say in their report, as they said for Gaius, it goes well with their soul? We observed them and we can testify to their truth as indeed they are walking in the truth. You are faithful in all your efforts. Strangers, those who don't even know you very well, man, they testified of your love towards them. Everything that church does is done in a manner worthy of God. Our prayer is that we are a healthy church, one where God's word regulates our lives, one where we are filled with good stewards who have the desire to use their time, talents, and treasures for the Lord in a church without a doubt that they are all about not the name, the Bible chapel, or your name. We're all about the name that is above every name, the only name that saves Jesus Christ. Father, as we close this time in the Word, and as we get ready to continue at our campuses this morning with an extended time of worship through song, God, we pray, we pray that we are a church, that we can truly say that that Word, Word on our values, that number one thing, the first thing we say is we're all about the Word, that we are not just head knowledge believers. But those who see our conduct every week, day in, day out, man, they say, man, God's truth is actually true of them. They're living this stuff out. And God, that we will be a body that supports one another to do so. That we are united under your son, the one whose name is above every name, the name, the only name that saves the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for the graduates this weekend across our campuses again, that you alone would grab them and take hold of them and that we would support them as their church. And God, that one day when they return back from wherever you take them, we can rejoice in knowing that they are walking in the truth. Thank you for this time we had in your word. In Christ's name, amen.